I think for me, being feeling invisible is connected to feeling alone. So when I like felt a sense of community and belonging, I also didn't feel lonely or alone. So I didn't feel invisible anymore because I felt that I was being seen by other people who had common experiences to me. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Hello there! We are going to jump right in this week with episode 174 in which I interview Yasmin Bahar. Yasmin is a female-assigned intersex person living in Turkey. They have their master's in psychology and they co-founded the InterSolidarity Turkey Initiative, which focuses on personal empowerment and professional development for intersex individuals in Turkey. We talk about the high rate of ADHD among intersex adults, and we discuss some of the commonalities of feeling othered and living outside of societal norms. We also discuss our theories as to why neurodivergent thinkers tend to think outside the box and how this may or may not relate to the high rate of comorbidities like mood disorders and gender nonconformity. I found this to be a really fascinating conversation, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here is my interview with Yasmin. Hello, Yasmin. Thank you for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love getting to interview guests from all over the world and find out how similar our experiences are, but also you know, learn about some of the differences. So I am super excited to hear your story. Now... I guess let's start with the ADHD diagnosis. How long ago were you diagnosed and what were some of the signs that led you to think that this could be ADHD? So I was diagnosed about three years ago, but uh, if you take it a lot um, like back, apparently my um, school counselor told my parents that I could have uh, some sort of neurodivergence, and my parents said, mm, probably not, and <laughs> didn't get an official diagnosis. Uh, <laughs> but looking back, I can see that half my family is potentially neurodivergent. Uh, and when I was in reading an article in 2019 about basically intersex people, uh, especially specific like conditions of intersex, uh, intersex people being much more like... Uh, common having ADHD, sorry, like they had much more high comorbidity or however you want to phrase that um, with uh, ADHD and intersex. And I was falling into one of those intersex conditions. I was curious. I wanted to look up uh, the symptoms of having ADHD because I do have a psychology uh, bachelor's and master's degrees, but we only talked about like autism and ADHD in children. 
And I was in my mid-twenties at that point, so I have never thought of like myself as possibly having ADHD or autism. And then a year later, I uh, mustered the courage up to go talk to a psychiatrist and say, hey, I think I may have ADHD, can you help me out? And that's when the process started. Wow. And how was that diagnosis process? Was that fairly easy? Well, I think for me, the most difficult part was me not being believed at first. Like, they were like, you are able to speak properly. You seem not too hyper. You seem fine. You are, like, uh, in your mid-twenties. You have been through school. You had a master's. Higher education, yeah. Higher education, yeah. No way you could have ADHD or autism. And so I said... Look, you know, like, there's this letter of my, uh, like, school counselor from back in middle school. Like, maybe you can check that out because there's a tendency to believe other medical professionals uh, more easily than ourselves. And then they said, oh, okay, let me, you know, check with my supervisor. And then I got to meet their, like, supervisor who uh, was a professor in psychiatry. And then we had some meetings uh, across, I guess, three to four months throughout. We had some questionnaires, some questions, some tests. Like, it was funny. They, one uh, appointment, they kept the, the door open just to see if I would get distracted, which I don't know if that's, like, scientific <laughs> and stuff like that. And I would fill out questionnaires. And then um, I filled out, like, um, is it the Minnesota personality uh, questionnaire, like 500 plus question uh, questionnaire? And uh, they said, oh, okay, we believe you. You're probably not lying because there's also this fear of like people abusing uh, like ADHD medication. And my point of wanting to get a diagnosis wasn't even necessarily like getting medica- uh, medication, but feeling like the sort of relief that I wasn't... I don't know, a bad or incompetent person. I was just different because I felt uh, shamed and incompetent and, I don't know, late, insufficient. And I just wanted to see if that could be related to ADHD, not to use it as an excuse, but to see if, you know, there were some reasons that I was different and not necessarily insufficient, incompetent. So it took a while, but then at the end I had to sit in front of like a... council of doctors uh of like six doctors and they ended up believing me and gave me an ADHD diagnosis I also wanted to get um like autism testing but that has even been more difficult but yeah now for the past I guess three years I've had the diagnosis Mm -hmm. wow that's so fascinating and you know it's one of the only studies that references the comorbidity of gender dysphoria and ADHD is actually a study out of Turkey in 2017, which I, I've seen that study. It just I'd never realized it was out of Turkey until I was doing a little background research for this episode, which is I think was so fascinating because, you know, one of the things I we talk about a lot on this podcast is, you know, discerning when you're diagnosed in adulthood, whether or not, you know, the ADHD symptoms are actually ADHD or if they're exacerbated by trauma symptoms of living a life undiagnosed. And it must have been very fascinating to look over the course of your life through this new lens, also dealing with 
some of the pathologization of being intersex. And also, like you had mentioned when you had reached out to me, the commonalities of feeling other, right? Like feeling like you are outside of what is normal. And sometimes we like, you know, what is so wonderful about a neurodivergent diagnosis is just like you said, like that feeling of the why, the explanation behind that feeling of difference that so many of us had. So I'm curious for your perspective, what was it like after the diagnosis, looking back over the course of your life? <laughs> I know that's a huge question, especially with a psychology background. Like I'm, I'm very curious to see were there any interesting epiphanies in terms of your own life? The one thing that came to mind was, uh, so in primary school, I was called the Istanbul dumpster, which is the city I live in. Is uh, So because my desk was so basically um, unorganized, it's not funny, I guess, being called a dumpster. But I mean, I get it. Like papers were just like flowing out of my desk and stuff like that. And one of my teachers said, I'm going to make you like the class captain and you your sole job was going to be at the end of the day making sure that everyone's cubbies are organized enough before they leave and suddenly I was so good at it my desk was so tidy the cubbies my cubby was the tidiest everyone's was uh, like we all got like small uh, like cubby and my, everything was tidy now because at the end of the day if I did my job my basically teacher would give a sticker right <laughs> so I'm being told that I should keep a tidy desk, right? But I still can't, like, or won't do it most days properly. Like, I keep losing papers. My papers keep getting crumbled and stuff like that. Can't keep track of stuff. And once I had, like, a different type of incentive, I was not only be able to be on top of my, like, organization and cleanliness, I was also able to, like, help others and stuff like that. So looking back, it, it was so interesting technology because like for almost two years my desk was the Istanbul dumpster basically <laughs> it was just in the middle of class papers would just fall out of my desk so uh it's weird that how um, I don't know my um brain worked I guess differently uh and had to have that like different incentive or different motivation because uh, it's not like I didn't want to have a tidy desk, right? Because I'm being told almost every day, your desk is a disaster, go <laughs> have it tidy. And I still couldn't. Um, yeah, I was thinking of that. I was thinking of being bored in class and coming up with my own questions. Like, I would be done early with some of the questions and just come up with my own, like, alternate questions. And... That made uh, everyone think, oh, they're super genius. But no, I was just trying to make sure that I didn't drift off and was able to like continue to focus on the topic and stuff like that. I have funny instances, mostly over school. And I guess in friendships, I was not the best in waiting my terms when uh, waiting my turn when we were playing board games or speaking. <laughs> I would just cut off people when they were speaking a lot. Like someone would finish their turn and my mind would be like, oh, I guess it must be my turn and just pick up the dice. But no, <laughs> there are like two other people that have to come before you and things like that uh, that seem funny to me now looking back. Have you talked about the diagnosis with your family or with your parents? I have. Have they come around? Well, yes, they do uh, acknowledge and believe me that I do have ADHD, mostly, I think, because 
a medical professional has told them that I do have ADHD. Uh, and I realized when I was talking with them was one of the main reasons they were so like closed off to uh, going down the road of like seeing if I was neurodivergent, if I had ADHD back when I was younger was because they believed ADHD to be something negative or like a disease disorder and stuff like that. And they had already had this difficulty of having a child who was intersex and they were already afraid of me being accepted by society and fitting in with the norms and they just didn't want me to be any different uh, than I already was, I guess. Now looking back and talking with them, I, I understand where their um, worries are coming from because it's not like uh, being ADHD is always fully embraced uh, by the rest of the society. Uh, or even medical professionals or institutions. But now they understand that it is not necessarily a deficit or a disease or a disorder, even if it's like a diagnosis, because they understand that differences can exist without one being better or worse than the other. I think that was what made them come around, basically. Oh, that's lovely. Well, and I think also a lot of the time with a family situation, they're seeing the positive side of ADHD and they're mostly looking at it as like, well, this is how our family is, right? <laughs> I don't think they look at it as being a disorder. Why would they? Is it even a disorder, right? I mean, a lot of this stuff is just kind of how we think. And so usually your family members are the ones who don't see anything wrong with who you are because you're very much like they are and <laughs> there is nothing wrong yeah. with it right <laughs> yeah. so I think you know we have as parents there's that understanding that ADHD like you said is a negative thing it's something you know maybe even uh, I think a lot of parents sometimes feel threatened that this is a reflection of their parenting and that they you know because a lot of the time it feels like ADHD characteristics are just a result of poor parenting, right? So they kind of t blame themselves. And yeah, so it is always nice when I hear parents kind of coming around to like, oh, yes, okay, fine, neurodivergence, that's a thing. That's just who we are. <laughs> but it's interesting that they wanted to protect you too. I think that's that's a very real experience. Just speaking as a parent of two children who have been diagnosed with ADHD I do want to protect them from the label and the stigma of of people assuming that they are one thing because ADHD is so misunderstood. Now, another thing I was fascinated by when I was doing a little bit of background research was that uh, 2% of people around the world are intersex, which is, you know, like one in 50. That was really surprising to me. And so you were female assigned at birth. Did you always know that you were intersex? No, I did not. I found uh, some medical reports in late middle school, I guess when I was 13 or so, that talked about some uh, surgeries I had had and treatment I had had. And I looked up the words. My English was not that good at that time, so I was using Google Translate, uh, which also wasn't that great at that time, <laughs> like 15 years ago, because Google Translate did exist, but not very well. So I was trying to understand uh, what all that meant. And, I, and then I found out that I had something called like Mosaic Turner Syndrome or whatever, which is one of the conditions under the intersex umbrella. And only like five or six years later did I actually hear the word intersex because previously I had only come across 
medical like documentation and uh, intersex is mostly a term used by like intersex actors or intersex uh, people who wanted to have a word to describe them that isn't necessarily coming from a medical like approach or medicalized approach. I do feel like both intersex and differences in sexual development are great, but at the time we also didn't have differences in sexual development, so I understand why intersex people felt the need to come up with a different wording, because at the time um, we were called like deficient or like uh, disorders in sexual development, so it wasn't a very positive terminology. And once I found out I was intersex, I uh, I kind of went down a rabbit hole of doing research. And in 2013, I found the first intersex uh, blog in Turkish, which is like my main language, my mother tongue. And from then on, I became a part of, I guess, the initiative whose founder started that blog. And it's interesting because... Um, so as you said, it's around 2% of people are born intersex that we know of. Could be more because we don't all have our hormone levels or chromosomes checked out. But it's basically the same as the ratio of people with green eyes. So it's not something that isn't uncommon. It's not something that we don't come across. Um, so that was really um, an interesting journey from... I think now I'm uh, 28, almost 29, and it's still a journey ever since I was 13, understanding what intersex is and what it means to me. Mm, yeah, I'm sure, right? And and that feeling of other, right? That feeling of difference, I think, is really interesting. So the study that I had referenced earlier that explored gender dysphoria, that it, it was a small study, but it was... Um, and I'll reference it in the show notes, but it, but basically they, there was a 75% of the subjects were had ADHD, which is incredible comorbidity. Have you done any research or do you, why do you think there is such a high comorbidity with ADHD and gender dysphoria? And is there a difference between gender dysphoria and intersex? I mean, obviously there's a difference, but would you consider intersex to be under the umbrella of gender dysphoria? So uh, intersex is not completely irrelevant, but we describe intersex as being something about your sex characteristics, such as your like secondary sex characteristics, when you're like how much hair you have, etc., or chromosomes, certain hormone levels, and stuff like that. Gender dysphoria or gender identity is more about your understanding of your gender uh, or your feelings towards gender so one of them is being intersex is more biological usually than having gender dysphoria but there are a lot of research and they do say pretty much the same thing that intersex people are five times more likely to describe themselves as trans or in the trans umbrella or as having gender dysphoria than non-intersex or endosex folks. So I think that's because of intersex people not already fitting into one of the two like gender categories under the gender binary, right? So if you're already not biologically, physically not fitting into uh, the two categories given to you, I do feel like it makes sense that you're more likely to feel gender dysphoria or be under the trans umbrella. And there's also 
2019 research, which I'll, I can share with you, that also showed high um, comorbidity with ADHD and intersex in six um, European countries with, I think, if I remember correctly, a few hundred participants. And that was also really interesting to me because, well, we are a small group of uh, intersex activists in Turkey. And a lot of us have been formally diagnosed with ADHD. So I was really curious into seeing like what that's about, right? And then I came across a limited number uh, of uh, studies, but credible studies nonetheless. And oof, the first question you asked, like, why do I think there's this comorbidity? That's such a difficult question to answer for me. I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, this we're just these are just theories more than anything else. Neither of us is <laughs> is deeply into the research, but I'm curious if you have theories. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons may be because. There are differences in our development and neural development included in from in utero, so from a very early age. And that may be one of the reasons. And I think one of the other weird social reasons may be because both having intersex, uh, being intersex, sorry, and having ADHD or being ADHD come with a lot of shame and stigma and... That's also an interesting thing for me to realize because oftentimes the intersex activists around me find that they have ADHD because they know that they are intersex, because they have similar feelings of shame and stigma and somehow they look at the comorbidities or they hear other people uh, with having the comorbidity. And it's interesting for me to see such commonalities in our experiences in terms of like uh, shame, stigma and discrimination. Not like haha funny, but like interesting. If you have ADHD, it can often feel overwhelming to find the right treatment. And then when you finally do get an appointment with your local clinician, there's no guarantee that they will have the adequate background or understanding of ADHD in adults, especially in women. You might end up leaving that appointment more confused and disheartened than when you entered. That's where Dunn comes in. Dunn is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. With experienced clinicians who know exactly what to look for, you can start getting personalized care as soon as today or tomorrow. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Dunn for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Visit get.dunnfirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that's get.dunnfirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. So I have a 16-year-old and a 12-year-old. Both of them are would would consider themselves outside of the binary. And it's so it's a conversation we have a lot just gener- as a generational difference because for me growing up, you know, my my 16-year-old, my daughter always says that she was like, "Mom, if you were born today, you would be non-binary." <laughs> because I really like reject a lot of gender norms um, and always have and have always had to kind of, for me, I came from this like feminist generation of having to expand my definition of what is feminine because I didn't agree with a lot of the gender stereotypes that were placed on women. But I 
it didn't occur to me that there might be a way to live outside of the binary back then. <laughs> we didn't have that language. So I spent a lot of time just developing and expanding what is feminine, if that makes sense. And so it's a conversation I have a lot with her, which is like, why live outside of the binary of gender when you can kind of expand it for yourself? And so there's a conversation we have a lot of the time. But one of the things I find interesting is that a lot of neurodivergence really reject anything that is expected of us, right? If there's not a real like logical reason. And so a lot of things that fall under tradition are things that we rail against, we fight against, right? Because it's like, this needs to fundamentally authentically make sense to me. And so when you take the vast majority of gender stereotypes, they don't make sense. They're ridiculous. If you th <laughs> And often like, you know, go against reason for so many of us. And so that was always my theory about the overlap between neurodivergence, autism, ADHD, and gender dysphoria is the fact that it's like so many of these social mores are put on us as children that are ridiculous. And we're just trying to like find our authentic way. So I was curious if that resonates with you, if that's a conversation you have at your age in activism, because <laughs> these are the moments where I feel like such an old person. <laughs> and I'm very grateful for my teenagers who are keeping me informed and TikTok too. <laughs> that actually, yes, that definitely resonates with me 100%. It makes a lot of sense because I feel like one of the great um, things about being neurodivergent is that you are always or a lot of the times thinking outside the box and also you are open to question things like even when you're told like two plus two is four you are eager to ask why why though <laughs> why is it not five why is it not zero so i think that makes a lot of sense we often um i in my personal experience as like a person with adhd and like interacting with other people uh, who are neurodivergent I see that we often don't like being contained in boxes and we often don't like like binaries, dichotomies, like black and white for a lot of things. Um, so I think what you said makes a lot of sense for me and for my age group, at least in Turkey uh, as well. It's definitely a great, I think, uh, like property of having ADHD. It's, it makes life fun for me. Right? Well, and I think it also kind of falls under the same category with many of us having difficulty with humor or social niceties, right? Like taking things literally a lot of the time that ends up getting me, for one, in trouble uh, <laughs> a lot of the time when it comes to social interactions. And uh, a lot of that rigid thinking, too, I think also comes from, like you said, like the why, right? Like this, I need this to make sense to me. I need to really understand. I can't just accept something because you told me to. And now I'm going to be oppositional as a result. <laughs> like it all kind of falls back into that category of like this overwhelming drive for authenticity, which I guess also explains why I think so many of us turn to activism and social justice, right? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about the InterSolidarity Turkey initiative, right? Organization initiative. You co-founded that. And 
What is the Intersolidarity Turkey and what, what do you guys do? So Intersolidarity Turkey right now focuses mostly on personal empowerment of intersex individuals living in Turkey and around Turkey. And it also focuses on professional development of legal, uh, medical and psychosocial like workers uh, in terms of having uh, the relevant information and language to um, help support intersex people. It did originally uh, come about uh, in 2009, but as I said, it started as a blog and then we turned into an initiative years later. There were quite a few iterations of the same initiative in different names uh, because most of us have ADHD and we want to try new names sometimes. And right now we have more, less of a focus on like political uh, institutional change because it is getting more difficult in Turkey. But we have a larger focus on providing like peer support, legal support and psychosocial support to individuals who are intersex, who live in Turkey or around Turkey, uh, because some of our neighboring countries also don't have any intersex organizations or initiatives. And we also focus on collaborating with and doing trainings with um, medical professionals, legal, judicial professionals and psychosocial workers in giving them the support they need so that they can fully support intersex people when they're working with them or when they're providing care to them. That's amazing. That's wonderful. So how does your ADHD contribute to... I guess, some of the activism work you're doing. What do you love about your ADHD? Well, one of the things that it contributes is, uh, like, I think my ADHD is playing a big part in me deciding to go full-time into activism, right? And seeking, like, this justice for all mentality. It also helps you think creatively or differently. So, for example, we in Turkey... Intersex rights or the situation of intersex people or LGBTI people in Turkey in general is not the same as back in, say, 2013, when we were like doing different types of activism. So in some ways we have difficulties, but in other ways there is new sorts of arenas that we could explore, right? There are new types of uh, activism that are emerging that we could do, that we could try. So it's I think my ADHD helps in thinking of the change is not as a negative, but as new opportunities to explore new ideas and new like types of activism that may work now that maybe didn't work before or couldn't work before or didn't or we didn't have the resources to try before. So I think it's interesting to have a differently thinking uh, brain, I guess, because it helps you navigate the changing like political atmosphere. And it also helps you try to be a bit, this may be weird to say, uh, but try to be a bit more selfless and like give you all your energy to helping other like people who are maybe intersex, LGBTI, having ADHD, or who are families and parents of people who are intersex. Mm. No, I think that makes sense, right? I mean, I think, I feel like we, many of us have a very heightened sense of empathy in terms of wanting to save other people from a struggle that we ourselves experienced, right? And so I think that it sort of leads to a, 
a heightened sense of empathy in many of us, which is always tragic that so many of us are mistaken as being self-centered, right? And being selfish and immature, because I think the vast majority of us try so hard to help others. And it kind of leads to the that trauma of feeling so misunderstood and so uh, rejected in, in most of it, in our lives. <laughs> Well, that's, that's incredible. You had also mentioned about the sense of invisibility. Can you tell me more about that? Is that in reference to the invisibility of the diagnoses and, and the communities? So we are taught in school or by our societies most of the time that there are like two uh, biological or physical like genders or sex or whatever but in my case I wasn't fitting uh, neatly into either of those like uh, boxes right uh, not in terms of like just like how I identified myself but also me physically and biologically I didn't fit in this like gender binary that was like socially constructed so that made me feel invisible um, for sure and the commonality here, I think, is that because I was female assigned, I had a much more difficult time getting accepted or seen as ADHD because uh, I do think that there's still an issue of female ADHD being less accepted and less seen, even though like in uh, the past years, I think there's been a great, um, there's been great efforts to challenge that that have been very like emotional for me and uh making me really happy but I think we still have some ways to go in terms of showing that ADHD doesn't necessarily need to present in one single way or that it's not only the boys who have ADHD. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one -on -one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. 
It's called Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. Has your ADHD diagnosis helped you in terms of feeling less invisible I guess yes I think it definitely has because it was only after my diagnosis that I felt comfortable enough to be a part of like neurodivergent or ADHD communities and support groups and online uh, groups and communities so I think it really gave me a sense of like belonging and also I think for me, being feeling invisible is connected to feeling alone. So when I like felt a sense of community and belonging, I also didn't feel lonely or alone. So I didn't feel invisible anymore because I felt that I was being seen by other people who had common experiences to me. Mm, yeah, it is. I think an experience for many of us. How, you know, for many of us who really struggled with friendships and relationships and feeling connected to people to suddenly find this community of neurodivergent people who you feel so deeply connected to. And there's such, I mean, one of the things I love about the neurodivergent online community is just the overwhelming sense of acceptance and feeling like you've been embraced uh, in a way that is life-changing for so many of us. So yeah, well said. Now, from I'm curious with your psychology background too. Do you how do you sort through what is ADHD and what might particularly be a trauma symptom from childhood? Because that's something that's talked about a lot in terms of the di you know the diagnosis process and also like you know maybe this isn't ADHD. Maybe you're being misdiagnosed with something else, uh, and often trauma is one of the ones that comes up. Right? There's such such overlap with trauma symptoms. How do you sort that out in your own brain in terms of um, feeling like you've had to sort of live outside of the norm? And are you able to sort through those? Because I find it really difficult to sort through them. <laughs> to some degree, I feel like we are like whole complete individuals and we can't really go pick apart these things, right? We can't. I, I don't know if I can look at anyone, including myself, and say, this is trauma for sure this is ADHD and stuff like that. So for me, I think the best option for everyone is having access to resources to be able to get the diagnosis that would help them the most and that would be most authentic to them, uh, authentic to them. So I don't know if I can ever go, oh no, this is 100% the accurate diagnosis. This is 100% not the diagnosis or this is a symptom of this and this is a symptom of something different. I don't think I can do that because all my experiences and my being is like tied up with each other. So I think as long as the diagnosis is with the current available information and resources, the best option, 
who cares <laughs> kind of i don't know if it's rude to say that but like if it works why not right i'm not going to go to a person and say no i ban you from saying you have adhd i take your adhd card away from you you do not have adhd or anything like that that's actually a really helpful answer because i think you know it, it speaks to the complications around pathologizing neurodivergence and the uh, the fact that this is even a diagnosis and a disorder and all of the frustrating labels that are applied to this when really we are you know acknowledging neurological characteristics and traits and so um, do you think that the ADHD diagnosis will still even exist in 50 years Oof. I don't know. Uh, it, I mean, 50 years is a lot in some sense, but all, I also feel like whether diagnosis exists or not has a lot to do with how the health industry works right now. So like, or health insurance works right now. So true. That's true. Very good point. Yeah. Difficult to answer. <laughs> yeah. And I also feel like it's not maybe the worst thing in the world because I do feel like there is no two people who have the same neurology, right? But it's it's not the worst thing maybe to acknowledge that some people have been facing more difficulty than others, maybe mostly due to how the world is set up. But either way, still, it's not the worst thing in the world to me to acknowledge that some people may need additional like um, accommodations. Why does it matter? I'm like, I don't know, it just does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always I'm always grateful for anybody who's willing to engage in the in the conversation with me. And that's one thing I'm very grateful for with neurodivergence is we're always willing to engage in the conversation. <laughs> Be like, huh, that's interesting. Um so so thank you for that. Now do you have a name for ADHD? Would you call it something else if you could? It's not like my creation, it's not the most original, but I do often call uh, it being your spicy. I don't know, it just sounds great to me. <laughs> it's, it, is, it is a great word. <laughs> it's less boring and it's less, I guess, pathologizing and it's more fun and accurate. Like we are a bit spicy, I feel like, uh, when looking at uh, the rest of, uh, no, uh, no shade, all the love to neurotypical people, but like we do tend to come out as more spicy and different. <laughs> right? And I think that come I think that falls in line with what we were talking about of being outside of the norm and also questioning, questioning traditions and questioning anything that doesn't have a real authentic meaning is that we're going to get a little spicy. We're going to get a little I like to say we get I get a little salty. <laughs> <laughs> whenever somebody expects me to do something just because they said so. And I definitely was when I was a kid. That's one of those things that I looked back at and I was like, oh yeah. Um, anytime somebody told me to do something just because, that was when I would immediately start to rebel. So yeah, I think that's definitely the spiciness is for sure there. I love that. So now do you have a website for InterSolidarity Turkey? Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or the work you're doing? Yes, we do have a website, and it does have English uh, pages, web pages in it, but the URL is in Turkish, so it is interdayanışma.org, but maybe we can, uh, maybe people can find it through show notes. It is interdayanışma.org. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have all of those links in the show notes, so thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It was a really interesting conversation, and I just encourage everyone to... 
um, who feels outside of the norm to, I guess, continue to find community. May uh, that that may be just my last comment. And I really wanted to thank you and the podcast for allowing that sense of um, exploration and that saltiness and also that sense of community. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. Now I'm starting to think maybe we, the word ADHD could just be replaced by the spice rack of neurodivergencies. Uh, <laughs> um, that's a lovely thought and really, yes, I, I wholeheartedly endorse that. Well, thank you, Yasmin, for talking to me. It's been really lovely. There you have it. Thank you for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.